0: Welcome to the Soil and Roots podcast, digging beneath the surface to uncover the hidden ideas that form us, the church, and the culture. I'm Brian Fisher. This is episode 11, The Formation Conundrum. Today we're going to start exploring what role the local church plays in our spiritual formation, our discipleship. If we are, in fact, experiencing a great omission, a lack of genuine disciple-making, how does the local church fit into this scenario? If the purpose of discipleship is character formation, that our hearts take on more and more of Jesus' characteristics, is this the role of the current modern church? Is this how the church perceives its role? Does this institution of the church view itself as a character-forming institution? Or does it view itself as something primarily instructional, or maybe something else? We've noted that the church is often adept at guiding us into the first three stages of discipleship, being introduced to God and learning about Him and moving into a life of productive service. But the modern church isn't normally equipped or ready to guide us into the later stages of our formation, the journey inward, the journey outward, and the life of love. If we're going to journey together into deep discipleship, we need to perform a fair assessment of the state of the modern local church. And we have a new resource for you today. It's called the Formation Evaluation Worksheet, and you can find it on the Resources tab at SoilandRoots.org. Yes, I know, if we turn the phrase Formation Evaluation Worksheet into an acronym, it spells FEW. As I've already mentioned, I'm not much of a marketing person. Today's episode is a little bit different in that we're going to move through the worksheet together. So if you're in a car or unable to print it off, you may want to come back and listen to this when you're able to sit down with pen and paper. It isn't essential, but the episode will make more sense if you can interact with the handout. Okay, so let's dig in. Back in episode 7, we introduced the five key elements of spiritual formation. Time, habit, community, intimacy, and instruction. These are necessary components for any formative process, whether we're talking about educational formation or character formation or skill formation and so on. The most formative time in our lives is our early childhood. Let's say birth through 8 years old. Many of the ideas in our hearts, especially our core ideas, are formed in our families of origin, and through our early life experiences. It's a critical period with a small group of people, and our hearts are obviously brand new at that age, so the formation is rapid and intense. So what other periods of life are highly formative? Most people would say that a college or university experience is highly formative. Sometimes that's good, and sometimes it's not. Maybe you were in the military. That's a highly formative environment. Veterans often share how they went into the military as one person and came out another. That's a great way to describe intentional formation. The experience of falling in love and becoming married is highly formative, hopefully for the better. You've probably heard these wonderful stories of older couples who grow to act and even look like each other. It's a great picture of how our hearts grow to look like the heart of Jesus over time. Lots of experiences are formative. In fact, we're always in a state of being formed, all day, every day and our formation will either bend us towards the light or towards the darkness. The colony of cultists is a formative experience. It embodies all five elements, but obviously bends us towards darkness. If you grew up in a difficult home, say with alcoholic parents, your formation may well have been comprehensive but damaging, even though it involved all five elements. The key point is that positive spiritual formation must include all five elements, time, habit, community, intimacy, And instruction. If we miss one or more of these elements, our formation will be stunted or incomplete. We might become malformed. Let's compare these common formative environments. Early childhood, college, the military, and marriage. What are some common characteristics of these formative experiences? Well, no surprises here and the answers are some of the column headings on your worksheet. Intensive time, engaged in specifically designed habits in intentionally vulnerable relationships, immersed in a community focused on a specific purpose with repetitious and increasingly complex instruction. So let's just look at college. Does college require a lot of time? Well, sure. If we live on campus, we give it all of our time. Even if we commute, our classes and study groups and activities still take up substantial time. Colleges and universities intuitively know that time is a crucial requirement in molding a high school senior into a college graduate. Well, how about specifically designed habits? To be successful in college, a person needs to develop good habits. Not only academic habits like studying and reading and writing and discussing material with other students, but also self-managing habits like sleeping and eating and doing the laundry. Many students develop more mature habits around relationships, including friends and mentors or professionals and internships or even part-time jobs. Intentionally vulnerable relationships. It's hard to go through college as a robot. Most of us develop great friendships, perhaps a romantic relationship or two. And if we go to a smaller university, we may form wonderful relationships with professors or teaching assistants. And to build these relationships, we need to be appropriately vulnerable and transparent with others, because those are key components of building trust. Immersed with a community gathered around a specific purpose. Obviously, this is a foundational bedrock of any college or university. The physical environment itself encourages a community that fosters personal and educational development. We live together in dorms or apartments. There are lots of communal study spaces and gathering spots. We are embedded and immersed in the sense that we typically live with the community to enhance our formation. And repetitious and increasingly complex instruction in a proper formative environment, we hear foundational principles repeatedly, though the educational environment must also move us forward. We press on to more complex, more difficult topics, ideas, so that we grow intellectually and spiritually. This progression is built in to the college experience. Junior and senior year courses typically build on the more foundational underclassmen classes. Graduate work expands on undergraduate work. If we look at all four of these formation examples from the sheet, we see a theme developing. Early childhood, college, the military, marriage, all have the five key elements in common and in intense degrees. Now, you might look at marriage and say, well, hold on a second. How does instruction fit into a marriage? A husband and wife hopefully don't sit and lecture each other about themselves or the relationship. But a healthy marriage should actually be pretty instructive. You intentionally share things about each other, yourself, God, and life, by listening to and observing your spouse, and by experiencing them. If your marriage is healthy, you've discovered there's no end to the depth and wonder of your spouse, and so you're constantly learning deeper and deeper things about each other. Instruction in a marriage doesn't look like it does in college, but we educate each other nonetheless. Alright, if you happen to have the formation evaluation worksheet in front of you, let's begin to fill it in. On the left-hand side, I've listed the four formative experiences we just talked about. I'll talk about the fifth and the sixth rows in just a moment. On the top of the sheet, you'll see the five elements of formation. On the right-hand side, you'll see two more columns with two questions. Who directs the formation? And is there a clear vision path and context? We'll come back to those right-hand columns in a minute. Let's use a scale of 1 to 10 to fill in each block on the top five rows over to the break. There are 25 total blocks to fill in. A 1 means that the key element isn't necessary for positive formation. A 10 means the element is very necessary for formation. So, for example, if you think time is moderately necessary in a marriage for the heart so the husband and wife to be formed in a positive direction, you'll write maybe a 4 or a 5 in that blank. It doesn't matter if you have personally experienced all of these. Obviously, all of us have experienced early childhood, but you may or may not be married, and you may or may not have been to college or been in the military. It doesn't matter. Just fill in the form based on what you know. These are all pretty commonly understood experiences. So feel free to push pause if you want some time to think about it to fill in your answers. The fifth row is labeled New Testament Church. Based on what you know about the Gospels, the Book of Acts, and the other letters of the New Testament, how would you rate each of the five key elements of formation in relation to the early disciples in church? You can go back to episode 7 if you want a little perspective. We talked about how Jesus modeled each of the elements of formation for his disciples. So based on what you know about the culture of the time of Christ and based on what we can glean from the New Testament, how essential were time, habits, transparent relationships, community, and instruction to the formation of the early church? How much time did early disciples spend with Jesus, or in the book of Acts, with an apostle or members of their communities? How important were habits to the early church? Acts 2 talks about teaching, fellowship, eating, prayer, giving, sharing, and so forth. Was transparency important to Jesus and the early church builders? Did they model intimate relationships? Did they work to cultivate them among their followers? How important was it to build trust? How essential was community to the early church? Did they purposely work to strengthen the Christian community in their areas? And instruction. How vital was instruction to the early church? How important was it for followers of Jesus to graduate from fundamentals to the deeper things of the faith? So take a moment to write in a number from 1 to 10 in these boxes. Feel free to pause me while you fill them in. The columns on the right are pretty straightforward. Who is primarily responsible for directing and guiding the various formative experiences? So I'll just give you the answer to the first row. The person or institution primarily responsible for directing early childhood formation is the parents, or the guardians of the child. So you can just write parents in that box. So take a moment to fill in your answer for the other four rows. We'll tackle the sixth row in a moment. The last column is a yes or no answer. In each of these formative experiences, how clear is the vision, path, and context For the formation, does the person being formed have a clear vision of where they're heading, a clear path to follow, and a sense of where they are on their journey right now? So, using the military as an example, how clear is the military on what a fully formed soldier should look like? Do they set clear expectations for recruits about who they'll be after they have been through boot camp and a few years of military formation? Is there a clear path to get from point A to point B? Does the military know what steps need to happen for a civilian to be formed into an effective soldier? And can a member of the military determine where they are in their formation process? Can they easily tell what they've accomplished and what steps still lie ahead? So take a moment and put a yes or no in that column for the first five rows. Again, just pause me if you need some time. The last row is labeled my local church experience. Now, this row works differently because it's based on your personal relationship with your local church. Feel free to think about this considering your church experiences over time or just your current congregation if you're part of one right now. If you aren't currently part of a local church, just fill in your answers based on your general knowledge. Your church experience includes things like weekend worship services, small group, church led prayer events, Sunday school, volunteer opportunities, things like that. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how much time does your church offer to you or require of you? If you're involved with your church every day in some way, not as an employee, you would probably put an 8 or 9 in that box. If you go to church once a week and aren't engaged in any other church activities, you might put a 1 or 2. How influential is your church on your habits? This includes your typical Christian habits such as corporate worship, Bible reading, study, and prayer but it also means life-giving habits that positively impact your relationship with God, and your family and friends, and yourself, and your role in the culture. Has your church experience resulted in changes to your habits related to your spouse or your kids, or how you spend your time or your money? Has your church helped you develop habits to explore your own story, or your hidden ideas, or how your story impacts those around you? Do you have appropriately intimate, vulnerable, trusted relationships at your church? Do you have a close relationship with your pastor? Or with a mature Christian who's actively mentoring you? Do you do life with people from your church? Or do you see folks mostly at Sunday service or in a small group once a week or so? Are you building trust with people at church? Immersive community. Compared to your work community, your family or communities formed around your hobbies or your interests... How would you rank your church community as it relates to your heart formation? Does your church community remind you of other formative communities like a college setting or the military experience? And lastly, instruction. Does your church provide you with regular instruction that is intentionally going deeper and more complex over time? Can you look back at your church experience and see how you're growing in your formation because your church is continually pushing you forward into new areas while reinforcing fundamentals? in some sort of methodical, intentional manner. Okay, so take a moment and fill in your rankings from 1 to 10 in each of these boxes in this last row, and push pause if you need some more time. Lastly, let's look at the last two questions related to who personally guides your spiritual formation and whether you have a clear picture of your journey. Who directs your discipleship? What person or institution is deeply engaged with you in your life, your story, your spiritual journey, to help guide you to become more like Jesus. Your answer may not be directly related to somebody at your church. That's great. Maybe it's a mentor or a mature friend who just goes to another church. Your answer may be myself. Our discipleship tends to be self-directed. But perhaps you've never really thought about it. There isn't a person or a group in your life who is intentionally walking with you to help you form into the image of Jesus, and you can honestly say that you aren't directing yourself. So your answer will be no one, and that's okay. Lastly, has whoever directs your spiritual formation provided you with a clear vision and a path and some sort of context for your spiritual journey? Can you tell whether you're more like Jesus now than a few years ago? And do you know where you're headed in the future? If you have a clear understanding of your spiritual formation journey, then answer yes. If not, then just answer no. Last time, push pause if you want some time to think about it. Okay, great job. All the spaces should now be filled in. And you have completed your formation, evaluation, worksheet, or your view. I've worked through this handout in various small groups and classes, so I'm just going to share what I normally see. In general, the numbers in the first five rows end up being higher than the numbers in the last row. In many cases, the answers up top are like 8 or higher. Many of the rankings related to our modern church experience are typically 4 or lower. Generally speaking, there's a pretty big discrepancy between the top five rows and our bottom row. Meaning, most people recognize the five key elements of formation are very present in early childhood, in college, the military and marriage, and even the early church, compared to what most of us experience in a church setting today. In terms of who directs or guides our formation, the answers are pretty straightforward. Parents direct the child's formation. College professors or mentors direct the student's formation in a university setting. The branch of the military or certain officers direct the recruits' formation. In terms of the New Testament, Jesus directed the discipleship of his followers, and then the apostles or church elders directed the formation of Christians in local areas. In terms of who guides or directs our spiritual formation today, most adults answer me or no one. A few people have a mentor or an older, more mature Christian they do life with, and that's awesome. Most people answer no to the question about clarity, saying they don't have a clear vision or path or context for their discipleship. They really don't know if they're being formed more into the image of Jesus or not. So we now need to dig into this type of disconnection. Let's talk about row six and why most of us fell out the worksheet the way that we do. Let's talk about intensive time. Compared to early childhood, college, the military, and the New Testament church, We typically spend a fraction of the time with our church community compared to other groups. There are lots of reasons why, but here are two big ones. Many churches are event-centered, not relationship-centered. All the other communities on our worksheets are designed to comprehensively form a person around a purpose, including very intentional relationships. But the modern church isn't typically designed to do that. Many churches are structured around weekly services, retreats, classes, not necessarily doing life together for the purpose of forming a person. We've talked about this before. There's a big difference between sharing information and spiritual formation. And two, the typical American doesn't have the bandwidth to engage our church communities for large amounts of time. The last 150 years or so have brought massive shifts to where and how we live. We aren't farmers or factory workers who spend our entire lives with our families in small communities, We're a transient society that is constantly shifting locations and jobs and priorities. The idea of doing life with our church community is a foreign concept for many of us. We just don't have the time. Okay, specifically designed habits. Modern American church life promotes certain spiritual formation habits really well. This is a strength of the local church. Corporate worship, devotions, prayer, tithing, the sacraments, baptism and communion, volunteering, maybe fasting... A good church naturally cultivates habits that train our hearts towards certain good ideas. But the church struggles to educate and successfully instill habits comprehensively across all four relationships, including the challenges we talked about last episode. Healthy habits for marriage, healthy habits related to identity, sexuality, value, purpose. Many churches don't see this as their role. Most of our church habits focus on our relationship with God, but not nearly as many Focus on our relationship with others, or ourselves, or our role as rulers of creation. Intentionally vulnerable relationships. Unfortunately, being transparent and vulnerable is not generally a hallmark of the Western church. This is true at the institutional level and at the individual level. In many churches, there is a whole lot of theater going on, and it isn't coming from the stage. We've been trained to dress a certain way and act a certain way and present an image of ourselves that conform to what we think church life expects. If we were to come as we really are, broken, wounded people with internal struggles and anxieties we fear, we would be judged and kicked out. And In some cases, that's exactly what would happen. Hopefully, we have developed some wonderful long-term friendships at church and there is a lot of value and spiritual formation that occurs as a result. But we are an image-driven, celebrity-loving culture, and that culture has certainly seeped into the church. Also, you've probably discovered that these five key elements of spiritual formation are intertwined. Transparent, intimate relationships require time, habit, and instruction, hopefully in a healthy community. It's hard to develop intentional relationships designed to spiritually form us with people we see maybe once a week for an hour or two. Okay, immersed in a community. Most of us of working age spend far more time with our work relationships than we do with our church relationships. Our church community may be very important to us, and it should be. However, there is a critical difference between the modern church and other communities listed on our worksheet. In the top five rows, those communities are either living together or are geographically very near one another and doing life together. We're not typically embedded or immersed in our church community. We're more embedded with our families and our work relationships. New Testament churches weren't institutions, per se, and they didn't meet in buildings. They were groups of families and friends who, in many cases, lived together or were physically close to one another. They met in their homes. People didn't travel all that far from their homes, and a close community was basically an unconscious fact of life. Robert Coleman is the author of a famous book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. He wrote a companion book called The Master Plan of Discipleship, which is an exposition of the Book of Acts. Here's what he wrote. Quote, the apostolic church did not erect colleges or theological seminaries or even set up educational seminars. They had instruction in the tenets of the Christian faith and life, but not in formal classes or institutional programs. To mold the life of their members, they simply got learners and teachers together in natural settings where they lived and worked every day. End quote. In addition to that, the concept of a city square or a place where people intentionally gathered to discuss and debate ideas was actually pretty common in the New Testament. If someone was Jewish, it was probably a synagogue. If someone was a Gentile, it may have been a city square or some other location designed for discourse and debate. The Book of Acts relates how often Paul went to these types of places to present his case, to reason with people, to debate. Paul visited synagogues and then places such as Mars Hill in Athens. Europe still retains a sense of this public meeting space with its cafes and European cultures provide far more time and space for meals and drinks than America, and it's culturally accepted to discuss the news of the day and politics and religion and other social matters in these types of group settings. So lastly, let's talk about repetitious and increasingly complex instruction in the context of the modern church. I think we agree that the modern church focuses on instruction, teaching, preaching, it's a hallmark of Protestantism, though I think we can raise some questions about whether that education is intentionally and carefully designed to move us forward in our spiritual formation. If we went to Sunday school, we probably experienced a progression of instruction when we were young. We learned more mature biblical material in the sixth grade than we did in kindergarten. If you went to seminary, you certainly experienced a progression as you move through your courses. But do our churches specifically plan out instruction that repeats the fundamentals while intentionally pushing and challenging us into deeper ideas? Is our church's instructional program designed to progressively form our character? Maybe your experience has been different, but progressive instruction has not been the norm for me. Some churches provide disparate teaching on lots of topics, unconsciously assuming we are self-directing our own discipleship. We pick and choose our services, our small groups, our books, our Bible studies, our podcasts. That's a great freedom, but as I mentioned before, We just aren't very good at directing our own spiritual formation. We aren't even designed to do that. Years ago, we went to a church where the senior pastor only preached the gospel of salvation on Sunday mornings. So we heard the same variation of the same sermon week after week after week. His philosophy was that he needed to reach the lost on Sunday mornings and further Christian instruction had to come through other places like Sunday schools or small groups. This is actually a common philosophy among some pastors and denominations today. Sunday morning sermons are for their brand of evangelism only. The challenge was that less than 100% of people who came on Sunday mornings were involved in some sort of Sunday school or small group study. So there was a large number of people whose only Christian instruction was the gospel of salvation over and over and over again. So how did the church provide progressively deepening instruction if so many people only heard one message? Well, the answer is they didn't. The church provided a few different topical studies, but they weren't built to move someone forward in their spiritual formation. It was more of an a la carte menu of options. That's because the church wasn't focused on making disciples. They were focused only on making converts. Providing a progressively deepening education for congregations is admittedly a big challenge for churches. How do they provide more mature instruction if people are coming and going or attending a worship service but not a small group? or if people aren't willing to commit time to some sort of deeper study. well, The answer is they generally can't. So they provide options in the hopes that people want to and are capable of directing their own discipleship. So what can we conclude by reviewing our formation evaluation worksheet? Can the modern local church play the role of the primary disciple-maker? Is the local church directing and guiding the spiritual formation of each individual member? Is it the center of our spiritual formation, of our character formation? Are our churches set up to guide us into deep discipleship? Well, in most cases, the honest answer is no. There are just too many gaps between the modern church and the other five formative experiences that we've explored. Local churches can create character-forming cultures if they wish, but this just isn't the norm today. The formative experiences on the top of your worksheet are highly intentional and highly immersive. Our formation in all these types of examples happens because we live a life of formation. Our time, habits, relationship, community, and instruction are organized around the specific goal of the formation. The baby's life is organized around the purpose of growing into a mature person. The college student's life is organized around becoming a successful graduate. Not that all of us view marriage this way, but a Christian marriage should be organized around the goal of becoming one. And the early Christian's life was organized around becoming like Jesus. These are all immersive, integrated, comprehensive approaches to formation. Some of you may be thinking, well, hold on, Fish. These are not all fair comparisons. Early childhood, college, the military are special experiences designed to produce a particular type of formation in a certain amount of time. That's a fair point. For those of us who aren't children, aren't in college, or aren't in the military, Western life doesn't usually afford us the time community, or relationship to do what we're talking about here. You may be looking at the comparisons between the early church and the modern church and raising an eyebrow. We don't live with our extended families. We don't stay in one place for years on end. Most of us don't work in family or community businesses, and the people we go to church with live and work in entirely different places. Heck, the average lifespan in the time of the early church was something like 30 years. We're living two to three times longer. That's great, but it also brings a host of realities the early church Couldn't even contemplate. You may be thinking that comparing New Testament life with Western modern life is an apples to oranges comparison. The societies are very, very different. You look at the five key elements and wonder if they can even fit into the current pace and goals and activity of American life. Well, they don't fit into the current American lifestyle, that's the point I'm making. Though New Testament society is certainly different from modern day society, the key elements of formation are not different. Spiritual formation is spiritual formation regardless of the time and place in history. So for the past 150 years or so, the typical Western lifestyle has steadily moved in a direction that is at odds with the comprehensive, immersive nature of any intentional formation, and certainly of biblical discipleship. Thus, we have a formation conundrum. If we agree that these five elements are vital to our heart formation, but we also agree that the average Western lifestyle conflicts with them, One of them has to give. And many Christians in many churches aren't even conscious of this conflict. And if the local church, as it currently functions, is unable to direct our formation, and we aren't directing our own formation, and we aren't any good at it, who is guiding us to become more like Jesus in the way in which our hearts need to be guided? We're going to take another look at the modern church in the next episode as we continue to explore our spiritual formation, our journey into deep discipleship as we explore these hidden ideas in our hearts. There is no shortage of Christian institutions in the culture. And as you might have guessed, you and I have lots of unconscious, hidden assumptions in our hearts about the institutions and how they impact us and how we live and operate in the world. So next episode, we'll continue to go exploring. Hey, thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, share the podcast. For more information, check out soilandroots.org, and as always, you may email us at fish at soilandroots.org. And we'll see you next time.